Women Today. So my name is Cormac Russell, and I'm the Managing Director of Nurture Development and the Director of Acid-Based Community Development Europe. And now, to start with then, Cormac, I suppose the, the first thing to do is to ask you, what, what actually is this ABCD then? Yeah, sure. So it's in its simplest sense, it's this idea that um, in communities, places where we live particularly, there are all kinds of capacities, resources that people have that they can tap into, and mostly they're invisible. So um, it's anything from the gifts that people have individually themselves uh, to the resources of the actual landscape. So a lot of things that maybe people take for granted because they're everyday things, but when you start looking at them and connecting them together, they create all kinds of possibilities that uh, people don't always see. Okay, I'm intrigued by that. What If we were to relate this to the Isle of Man, what mm. would you say some of those resources are? Well, if you go into any neighbourhood or you go into any place community in the Isle of Man, and imagine you were able to take all of the people who lived there and you were able to find out what they really care about enough to contribute to the well-being of the people that live in their street and then connect all of that up. That would be an incredible reservoir of possibility. And I think if you look at that version of the story as against the version of the story that says uh, most people, I'm not saying that it's true, but imagine it were true that most people who live in the Isle of Man may be in head-nodding relationship with their neighbours, but probably don't know what their neighbours' gifts are, what their capacities are, what their passions are. That would be one example of a hidden treasure trove of possibilities um, that just are waiting to be discovered or revealed. So this is the sort of thing then that has so many potential positive benefits because you've got, first of all, more interaction, more communication between each other, being more aware of your Mm -hmm. surroundings, picking up on the positives from person to person. Do these different sort of elements of whether it's the person on the landscape, have you found that they differ from place to place? Because I know you travel quite a lot with this. Yeah, they can do. But what's really interesting is is that, you know, so in in Chicago, for example, they've done a 17-year study on what happens in the neighbourhoods. There's 77 neighbourhoods in Chicago. And they've looked at what happens when people get to know their neighbours by first name and they feel safer um, being out on the street to crime and crime reduces. So they've actually, this study shows that the two determinants of uh, how safe you are in your community is how many neighbours you know by first name and how often you associate outside of your own home in the neighbourhood. Um, so that that might be very different, you know, than, say, an experience on the Isle of Man. But what's really interesting is, is that uh, the actual coming together, the thing, how people buddy up or join, join up together, they are, most people do the same kinds of things. They have walking groups, they have knit and natter groups, they, you know. So what I find fascinating is, is just that... Um, even though our stories are very different and our cultures are very different. And there's a lot more that joins us together than separates us. Um, So I think one of the things that's pretty striking is when communities start organizing around the resources they have locally, it brings them together. And I think the difficulty is, is that so many individuals are so busy kind of finding a good life in the marketplace rather than in each other's 
place that uh, there's a competing interest there. People are cross-pressured. So um, I think a lot of people would initially say, what's the big deal about community? Why does it matter so much to connect with your neighbours? But there's a place in Froome um, in the UK, and um, they have actually, by connecting with their neighbours, they've reduced the level of hospital admissions and GP uh, uh, visits by 22% and to higher, actually. So we have evidence now that shows that this is good for your health. Gosh, that's fantastic. So, I, I mean, you have been over here before, and I know you've been doing bits of work over here on the island. I guess I should ask you what, what your perspective is of the island with regards to all of that. Where do you think we can possibly uh, use these these tools that you're talking about to make the island better? Yeah, well, I think, you, you know, the history, the story, if you like, is a story. It's a, it's a community story. Um, and it's it's not just a community story, but even on the international stage, your democratic story is a really powerful one. So you you have the longest running parliament, uh, you know, uh, in the world. It's running uh, continuously for a thousand years. Um, you have a small island population, but a kind of a, a structure of state, uh, a parliament. And so I think you have a very unique set of circumstances with a very deep Celtic history that's 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 shrouded in in this very very powerful idea of community connectedness, and you've got uh, elected members who really like the idea of thinking seriously about place and not just individuals, you know, having problems or labelling people, and I think you've got an awful lot of public sector and third sector organisations who like this way of working. But more importantly, when you actually go into local places, what you have is, I think, a lot of residents who are really open to the idea of getting more connected and building community spirit. So you have a lot of the conditions that I think are optimum when it comes to doing this kind of work. So in a lot of ways, you could say you, with that potential, you could really teach the rest of the world a lot about what it would take to grow bottom-up democracy rather than what we have at the moment, which is either no democracy or top-down democracy. And that's the problem. That's why we have the kind of political populism around the world that we have at the moment. That's interesting. I suppose that's the thing is because on the island, I guess we we do think of ourselves as being quite a sort of community centric island mm. and we think that we are actually quite connected. Mm. So uh, I, I guess what sort of lessons would you say that we could learn from what yeah. you're talking about? I think the big lesson is to learn to connect while also creating a welcome for the stranger. So one of the challenges with any kind of community building is, is the minute you form a community, there's an invisible kind of boundary around which says these are the people who are in and these are the people who are out. And so the challenge isn't just to connect, it's also to connect uh, in a way that welcomes the stranger at the edge. And I think island communities, like any community, may be very good at the connecting part, but the challenge is, are they welcoming the people that they've pushed out to the edge and they've labelled because they're different? The measure of a strong community is, is that it has the confidence to welcome the stranger back, not push them away. So I'm not sure whether everybody on the island would agree that's a challenge, but I think if people really looked into their hearts, they might actually say, yeah, there's at least something more we could do. And uh, so that's the challenge I would put out. 
I think you're probably right, and I think most people would probably agree. Actually. That's my suspicion yes. too. Yeah, I think so. But it's interesting that you would sort of see the island as a potential model. Do you think? Do you think we maybe need to be a bit more confident about ourselves in that respect, and maybe sort of shout about our, our positives a bit more? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, it seems like every story that uh, you know gets told uh, gets told in a way that kind of it's a bit like mushrooms. It just kind of pops up and it grows and it it, it gathers its own momentum. So it's not always just about shouting about it, but I think it's about, you know, as the story becomes more authentic and as people gain a kind of a confidence that there's genuine credibility uh, in what they're saying, I think then that comes across. You know, there's an awful lot of people shouting about what they're doing around community work. And when you go and visit, there's no authenticity there. It's not rooted. I think that over the next while, what we really want to do is come alongside communities and root uh, this conversation and then, you know, uh, share the stories after that. And I think they're the ones that are really compelling. As you know yourself, I mean, you're, you're a storyteller by profession and authenticity always wins the day. That's what causes a story to stick so I think authentic storytelling, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the summer school uh, the last two weeks of June, hearing people's stories about how they and their neighbours have come together to make things better. Um, so that's our starting point. You know, so we start with discovery rather than delivering anything. It's just, What's happening already? That's great. Tell us about that. Um, and again, I know you do a lot of that on this programme. Um, and then it's really about, well, what else would need to happen for more of those stories uh, to emerge and maybe also more of the stories about welcoming the stranger, welcoming the person that's been pushed away. So I think that's part of the ongoing next chapter, if you like. And I think as that flourishes, the stories will too. That sounds fascinating. Now, you mentioned the summer school. Um, just tell us then when this is happening and who is it actually for who could benefit from this summer school? Well, one of the things that we're trying to do, you know, a lot of, a lot of the thinking behind acid-based community development is that if you get serious about places, small places, and really work to help people get connected in their own place, then they, they can become really powerful. So what we want to do in the summer school is take that idea seriously. And so we'll be going to different places uh, in the Isle of Man for a period of about two days uh, each place, kind of probably as well as doing some workshops, going to the local post office and again, Thankfully, it's one of the things that's unique in all the world, probably, that you still have post offices and you take your post offices seriously. Most of them have been eviscerated across the world, you know. Um, and so really getting rooted in local communities and having the conversation there and saying, what would what would happen in this place? Now, Graham will, will have more of a sense of the detail, but it's a bit of an evolving conversation. So he's working. Um, on trying to just broker those conversations. And so we'll be rooted in um, probably four or five places um, across, um, across the island and spending a number of days there going out, doing community walks, um, getting to know people, getting excited about their stories, and then also sharing skills. So some of the stuff that um, really helps people kind of take it to a new level is doing things like asset inventories. So we'll actually go out and really search out what are the strengths, what are the assets in the local community. And um, so the summer school will be quite vibrant in that sense. As well as inviting locals, we're also inviting third sector organisations and any public sector people who want to come along who would work in those local communities. So the whole idea is that um, everybody who's 
involved in that local place is welcome and um, you know their voice their voice will be welcomed into the conversation. See, it's interesting, everything you're talking about here, even just picking up and you mentioning the different assets in the community and the local post offices, a lot of this I would I would think is probably sort of at risk at the moment because so much of our lives are going, as I'm sure you talk about a lot, online. And it seems to be sort of jeopardising, I would have thought, a lot of that sort of community spirit. Even today, you know, we're hearing about 100 Marks and Spencer stores closing down, which, you know, in essence, that, that's because a lot of the business is going online, which is stopping people going into shops and communicating. How much do you worry about these changes? Well, it's a big concern, you know, but again, I think community can create all kinds of alternatives. So another statistic is around banking. So local branches are shutting down all over the world. But in Australia, one of the biggest growing movements is the community banking movement, where communities are saying to Bendigo, which is, um, you know, a very large bank in Australia, we'll create our own community bank and we'll call it the Bendigo, whatever the community is, bank. Um, And what we want from you is a surety of $750,000 and we'll match that and they're matching it by it's kind of humorously taking their mortgages away from other banks and putting it into their own community bank so i know one community of 598 people whereby creating their own community bank have actually generated dividends of two hundred thousand dollars australian dollars that they invest into community activities so this is an example of a community not being victim to an institution uh, which is consolidating itself as they would say online um, and saying, okay, well, that's what you want to do, um, but this is what we want to do. And it's a very, very clever way, of course, of um, Bendigo also uh, fulfilling corporate social responsibility and for no cost, well, very little cost anyway, um, investing in replacing the branches so they get to mainstream their bank. The community banks uh, of Australia or in Australia are at 310 or 317 actually last count Uh, mainstream Bendigo banks there's only 225 so it's one of the fastest growing movements so communities I think when they're organized they're given some support can actually create alternatives to what you're describing but you're right it is it is a big concern Um, I often smile when I hear young people talking about online and offline, I always say to them, let's call call, call the offline world something more, uh, you know, respectful, like on land, or, yeah. you know, reality, reality, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. So it is it is a concern, but it's quite, you know, it's quite interesting with young people when they do get engaged in community life, they quite enjoy it, you know. So I think if we're losing, if community is losing out to television and is losing out to screen time based on the if you'll forgive me, that is on television and online, then I think we're doing something wrong in community. We need to pull up our socks. Well, it's not a big con- contest, you know. Yeah, having said that, there is also some excellent stuff sure. online. Some other, I mean, you yourself do an awful lot of mm. TED Talks and cover That's some right. really right. meaty and weighty mm. topics mm. online. So I guess it's sort of finding that balance, isn't it? But are you at all worried about young people in that, you know, that I know you said that they, they do enjoy community, but it does seem like the amount of people we speak to when we, we inter- either interview young people themselves or parents, so many of them do seem to just sort of go up to their rooms and either go on fortnight or just sort of communicate sure. with each sure. other online. And it's trying to sort of, I suppose, sort of push them towards the good resources online. Exactly. Well, well, yeah, I mean, look, I often say to my own kids, um, I wouldn't let I wouldn't open the door and send you out to the dark of night. 
Um, and so when my kids are online, I'm with them in the same way that if we were going out into the community after dark, I'd be with them. Uh, or, you know, I'd make sure that they're with somebody that I trust. Uh, so I think there's a responsibility as adults for us to show up and have an interest if our kids are interested in online stuff to have an interest and when I'm with them what I'm always curious to explore with them is is how does this augment your life how does this help you get on land what uh, added value does this bring and there is there is you know there is value there are things that we can do online that help our our reality and there are things that we do online that create an alternative reality or create an alternative environment And I often think that if you have an impoverished environment, you know, where you don't have a sense of belonging, you don't have a sense of place, you don't have a sense of rootedness, then I think what you would very understandably do is create an alternative environment, whether that's in alcohol or drugs or online or whatever it might be. It's very understandable. So I think the best way to get a balance in life is make sure that the the, the reality uh, that you live is a stimulating and uh, life-giving and joyous environment, you know. And in, in some ways, you know, we're reaping our own harvest here. We've created all kinds of limitations for our children, like they can't play in the streets like I used to be able to as a kid. We've regulated them in all kinds of ways, and we're supervising them, you know. And so I think the issue is not how much time our kids spend online necessarily, but how little time they spend in community, feeling useful, so the antidote in my mind is is that we need to create scenarios within which our children feel needed and feel useful and feel they can contribute on land. And if we don't do that, then they'll find an alternative online. Because I guess in a way you could argue that their community could just be online at the exactly, end of the day. Exactly. But the difficulty, I would say, is, is that it's not real community because what they're actually, it's, 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 it's counterfeit community, I believe. And they would argue violently against me on this and tell, you know, say I'm just a, an old fogey. But I, I would say that communities are places that create culture and create belonging and create a sense of connection. And I know that they may feel that Fortnite and so on and so forth do that. But communities are also places that surprise you and places that encourage your authenticity and spontaneity. And the problem I find a lot with online stuff, and there's good research behind this, like Sherry Turtle's work, um, is that people are editing how they show up online. They're often associating online with people who think like they think and vote like they think. So they're actually hermetically sealed environments where you hear the sound of your own voice coming back at you. And um, to me, that's not community. I think that's probably the opposite of community, actually. It becomes a bastion against difference. So I would be very cautious about about that. I don't think it's good or bad. I just think like anything, uh, we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't eulogize it and say it's an alternative way of having community. I think it's a way probably of connecting, but whether it's a place of deep conversation or deep challenge, I'm not convinced. It's not been my experience. And I guess at the end of the day, it is here and is likely to be here to stay. So we have to adapt and, and sort mm-hmm. of make use of it mm-hmm. in the best way we can while not losing everything that you're talking exactly. about. As so well. it's about augmenting our lives, not uh, yeah. replacing our lives. That's and, the challenge. And obviously you are here working with Quing, which is very exciting. And, and I'm assuming that there are some, some sort of crossovers here with mental health issues mm-hmm. and, and along those lines. Just tell us what you're actually doing with Quing. So what we're trying to really do, we were talking a lot about this this morning, what we're really trying to do is to say that recovery is really about discovery as much as anything. And it's about 
giving people a chance who've often had uh, probably quite a healthy response to a sick situation in their lives um, uh, and have chosen a path that, you know, uh, in, in a lot of ways may have separated them from community. Um, it's really saying that a big feature of how we get well when we're unwell in terms of mental health or even physical health is finding a way of connecting again, having a sense of agency and connection with our community. And this is ironic because in a lot of ways, the very place that has rejected you becomes the place where you've got to try and uh, get well again. So um, what I find exciting about what Graham is doing is he's not using a medical model that says, here's a person with a problem, we're going to find the problem and fix them. He's saying, here's a person with a whole variety of gifts and we've got to try and do is figure out a way, first of all, to help them discover their own gifts because life has been so bruising to them, they probably lost sight of them. And then we've also got to figure out how in communities out there, people can have, you know, can, can have the uh, openness to receive those gifts. And I think his, his, his vision and the, and, and the vision of the organization really is to figure out what are the touchstones that enable people to get from maybe feeling very bruised and very alienated from community and from life generally to a point where they feel they have a sense of agency. They've got a gift to give. They've had that received. So we were even talking about this simple idea that it might be that somebody starts in a, you know, a circle of support with other people who are going through something similar to them. They may be receiving therapy for all kinds of traumas, but that eventually a measure of success would be that wherever they live, that three of their neighbors that were strangers become friends. And we think that's very different than anything that we've seen around the world in terms of recovery, which tends to be more about peer support at best and at worst is the kind of medical model. Um, and so this is a new expression, um, which builds on the best of what's there already. We're not rejecting therapy. We're not rejecting peer support. They are all hugely important, but we're, we're really including uh, a powerful sense of community in that narrative. And presumably as well, it's important within that larger community to look from the other side. And because you mentioned some of these gifts mm -hmm. are sometimes invisible That's and right. perhaps for the rest of the community to be able to actually see these gifts That's in right. the other person, because it is difficult to get rid of that judgment sometimes. It is. It is. And labels obscure people's gifts um, and they render a person out of the domain of being a friend, a neighbour, a son, a sister, a brother, and it turns them into a service user or a client. And the minute you do that, I think communities and families say, you're lost to me, you're gone. And it might be because I'm angry with you, or you transgressed against me, or because I feel incompetent. I'm not credentialed to deal with you. Your, your behavior is beyond my capacity. And we're saying, is, no, it's not, actually. Um, and we can show you ways of lifting the label off and actually receiving the gift again. And, and I think, you know, this idea that a gift is not a gift until it's given, um, but it's also not a gift until it's received. And a lot of people who have been pushed to the edge don't know that they matter, you know, um, because they don't think that they matter to anybody, you know. So we're really saying that's the conversation and that's, that's the discovery journey that people have to go on. So that's, that's what our hope is for the conversation to follow. It's fascinating stuff. Okay, so I'm going to pin you down. What 
one thing do you think anyone that's listening to this now what is it is the one thing that we can do to just try and start rebuilding that sense of community what simple things can we do well very simply you can just um, ask yourself what would you love to do if three of your neighbors helped you and then go out and find three neighbors and do it you know but that means we've got to talk to our neighbors I know. there's like, a that's radical scary. thought yeah, now that's a, that's a, could, we could start a revolution here couldn't we <laughs> well it's been lovely chatting to you do let you us too. know where can we find where can we find out more about abcd itself so I, if you want to um just google asset based uh, community development and forgive the irish accent so i'll just spell it a s s e t not a c i d um uh, so it's asset based community development and that will bring up just a treasure trove of uh, all sorts my website is nurture uh, development, N-U-R-T-U-R-E, development, or just Google my name, Cormac Russell. Some people like watching videos, so there is a TED Talk. Um, so that's kind of the 18-minute entry point if you want. But there's shorter talks as well from different people. So there's lots online. Just put in acid-based community development and uh, you'll be swamped with all kinds of uh, possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks so much, Cormac. Thank you. Women Today.